92FM with Green Farm. Being up to 90 isn't real. The protein in our range is get real. Thanks to you, Jenny Green, for entertaining us this afternoon. It's Tuesday the 11th of January and this is Game On. Coming up today, Gaelic football coach Elaine Hart joins us, along with Damien Lawler, who has all the latest Gaelic Games news. Ocean Mullen here, Ocean Mullen fisting this one, and it's gone over the bar. Keen Tracy will join us with developments in the Champions Cup, and we'll ask the question whether or not Munster can return to the glory days. Charging for the line, a chance for Munster, they get in, it's another try for Munster! An intercept try, he's raced from the 10 metre line and he scored directly under the post. All of a sudden it's all going well oh. for Munster here in Bordeaux. Mark Langdon will be with us with all of the latest on European football and we'll also talk transfers and contracts. for Salah today though as his Egypt came up short against Nigeria losing 1-0 we'll also speak to Gary Murphy and we'll ask what does 2022 hold for the informed Seamus Power it's been a bit of a struggle of a season early and I've found a bit of form recently but yeah I mean this changes everything for me just to you know forever and I'll be able to say I'm winner in the PGA Tour and as you said playoffs and all this kind of stuff I mean it's not going to sink in yet but yeah I mean I couldn't be more proud yeah it's been it's, it's unbelievable now, if you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or tweet at GameOn2FM. GameOn on 2FM. Now, I mentioned in the opener that Egypt failed to beat Nigeria in the African Cup of Nations. All eyes were on Mo Salah. He did have one good chance, but failed to put it away. Didn't get to see a lot of the ball, really. And a little bit earlier, Algeria, who are the AFCON holders, they were held to a draw by a very stubborn Sierra Leone. And we will be talking all about that to Mark Langdon a little bit later on as well of what el- as well as what's happening in the uh, world of European football but we're going to start this evening's show with Gaelic Games we're easing our way back into the new season there is plenty of pre-season action going on at the moment but of interest to Gaelic football fans will be the meeting of Tyrone and Cavan in Kingspan Braefney Park this evening at quarter past eight it'll be um, uh, it'll be interesting just to see how Tyrone have fared after the break now to go through all of the news in the world of Gaelic Games Damien Lawler joins us Damien how are you? Good evening Marie, how are you? Good, good, thank you very much for joining us and look, we always say it though Damien, no matter what month it is, no matter what time of the year we're in, there's always something happening in the world of Gaelic Games, the pre-season competitions are ongoing at the moment yeah. but it is movement or lack of movement of Oisín Mullen that has everybody talking whether or not he is going to head off to Australia to join up with Geelong. Yes, Marie, that's that's the big talking point uh, right now, I think, in the world of Gaelic games, particularly in the world of Gaelic football, anyway. Um, Mayo were defeated by, by Galway last Friday night in the uh, in the Connacht League at the uh, NUI Galway um, Airdome in Bacon. And I think after the game, James Horn went over to, to, to talk to the... It was mostly local media that was there, and I think they were going through the game and the injury list and... I suppose they were looking for updates on the likes of Killian O'Connor and, and you forget just how much of a loss he was last year as well, Marie. But the, the question came around to Oshin Mullen and 
there wasn't much comment on it. Uh, just the, the manager just said, Oshin and his family deserve time to, to work through it. Um, so I'd say whatever is happening at the moment is not definite. But just to put it into context, Oshin Mullen, twice Young Footballer of the Year, what a hot property, what a player, uh, would, be look, would look to be born for the AFL as well, but really would be, he's, he's already a prince of Gaelic football and I, I'd say the way he's going would be a young king very, very soon. So I would say Mayo are very, very keen to hold on to him. However, last November, he did um, do a little video clip uh, just kind of saying how happy he was to have joined the Geelong club in the AFL. And I think really and truly, that probably, <laughs> most people just felt that that was it. He was going to maybe go down under and be the latest young Irish player to try try his luck down there. Um, and I'm not sure luck would have too much got to do with it with a guy of his talent. But um, pre-season training started there yesterday. Um, I don't think he, he's uh, he's over there. I think he's still in the country. And I, I feel that the, the word and the comment from Geelong has been very, very quiet in recent weeks. And, and I suppose, <clears throat> to be frank about it, I know that behind the scenes, I think people in Mayor are, are hoping against hope that he'd stay put. And um, I'd, I'd say probably the, the stakeholders involved there are trying everything they can to persuade him to stay on. So it's a dilemma, all right, for the young guy. Um, a professional career awaiting, but yet... He, he is just a Mayo man true and true and they're so close to winning in All-Ireland and we've said this for the last decade, I know. But he's leaving an awful lot to Murray. So to, to summarise everything, it's very much up in the air. And when the local media went to the Mayo camp for answers last Friday, certainly there was nothing forthcoming. It's definitely one we can watch a bit close, closer in the coming weeks. He has all the raw materials. There's no denying that he's got all the skills yeah. really in his locker and you can see, you could actually just picture him on that AFL field. But you'd probably sound um, a little bit of caution as well, Damien, when you think of the amount of players that go over there and it doesn't work out and, and come back and trying to get back into the, the world of Gaelic football. It's not as easy as um, many may think. No. Look, we've seen Carl McShay and Connor Glass, Connor McKenna are just three that come to mind from last season that yeah. um, that were, were standing out. And you just wonder, is the, is the allure of the AFL maybe not what it was a few years ago? Yeah, look, at a good point, Marie, because like he's, he's, Ocean's only 21. Um, he he um, the, the club had claimed their last... They didn't claim, they stated last winter that he was joining them and had signed a Category B rookie contract. So, like, it's not a sport that you're going to go in straight away and uh, make huge money uh, in straight away. But he's been scouted by Geelong over the last couple of years. Um, I think Matthew Rowan uh, attended a, an AFL combine with him in Dublin in December of two, 2019. And as you say, there's plenty of players gone over um, that have come back just as quick. Kieran Kikenny would be a classic example. Um, you know, I, I don't doubt for a second that Kieran had what it takes to make it over there. But um, he had a choice before he even left Ireland, whether he choose Dublin hurling or Dublin football. And all Kieran stuck while he has rich football lineage. His father John would be an out and out hurler, and uh, <laughs> hurling would be probably Kieran's primary sport growing up as good as he was at football so my point there is he had a decision to make before he left the country but he only lasted a matter of weeks uh, in Australia before he came home and he's in the process of making records now with Dublin and hopefully for Dublin's sake they'll get back on track um, but I just feel there's been plenty of players have come home in recent years uh, Tommy Walsh from Kerry Murray is always a player that that I found um, 
you know, he came back, he had a, a, an unbelievably serious and horrific injury over there. And, um, you know, to, to his credit, he got himself back into the shape for inter-county football. But the, the game here had changed completely. Colin O'Reardon from my old county, like, um, you know, my, my heart sinks. And I'm so happy for Colin that he's having a professional career and staying on longer out there and was voted their clubman of the year. But, like, Colin is, is king of the, of the hill in Tipperary and... It's taken him quite a while to, to, to nail down a serious place over there, a regular place in first-team football. Uh, he's had unbelievable injury worries as well, but just the transition they have to make is, is incredibly, incredibly hard. And you see players like Zach Tui and what they're doing. is It's astounding, really. you know. And you see the, the flood of, um, of women players going over to the AFL over there, and they seem to be coping very, very well. Um, probably much better than the lads as well, Marie. But, so there's no, there's no guarantees for, for Oshin Mullen. Uh, but there's no guarantees for him here either. Mm-hmm. And when you're at that stage of your life and that chance beckons and you have the attributes that he has, it's very hard not to take a chance, especially when you're so young. But I think the feeling, Marie, is if he takes a chance, <laughs> I think Leo could really <laughs> suffer without him. It's a bit early in the season now to be having these conversations, Damien, but when you think about the championship that that could unfold in front of us it does feel like it's an awful lot more open than it has been in the four, five, six years previous to this so I can see as well why he'd be tempted to stay at home and give it a lash at Mayo Definitely, definitely (laughs) I mean like they they had they probably felt themselves they had the hard work done last year now I don't underestimate Tyrone for for any uh, in any shape or form but what I mean is by beating Dublin and getting the psychological monkey out of their back um, I would feel that Mayo probably felt they were they were on the way to to, to break into hoodoo um, they didn't do that they were played off the field on All-Ireland final day there's no doubt about that in the clinical and ruthless display but if you look at it this year Dublin will try and get back on track I mean they'll still be favourites to win Leinster and who knows what shape they'll be in by then and who knows what they will they have the pep and the step that, that's needed to get back um, Kerry you have to watch them so closely um, I think that they'll feel hard done by from last year and there's a serial winner gone down to them again who knows what it takes to win all Ireland at all levels and um, a few times at senior level too and I think he'll have a point to prove too after leaving Kildare well Jack O'Connor will have no point to prove based on his past success but you know what I mean Marie just mm-hmm. in terms of moving county straight away um, so Tyrone are, are, are probably quietly fancying their chances of going back to back as well so without going much further there's four counties straight away and there's no guarantee Tyrone will even come out of Ulster so uh, there's never any guarantee so you're right it is wide open and it's fantastic to be here in January and not be resigned to the fact that Dublin could probably win it again Yeah and getting excited about it all as well uh, Do you know what else I love about this time of year I love when we're at this situation and players haven't released their I'm leaving statements because I was a bit fed up with them we were getting for a couple of years they were <laughs> We're getting a huge amount yeah. of them sent out and um, they don't seem to be coming this year. We're kind of nearly having to look at team sheets now. Maybe actually Stephen Cluxton has started a new trend because you're looking at team sheets to see who's in and who's out. But we were able to yeah. tell a lot by looking at Kilkenny, Damien. Definitely, Marie. And I, I think w- one thing that I have to mention too is that there's, there's such an air of secrecy around GEA teams at the moment mm-hmm. that we know ourselves, Marie, from even working there last Saturday night in Crow Park. You, you know, you hear players are rumoured to be injured or right until the ball is thrown in Harley you can't get it confirmed and it makes life difficult because there's so much misinformation going out there um, so it is a factor for everybody to be to be wary of too um, I think that when Covid hit first of all um, there was a, a raft and a flurry of, of retirements because I think people 
got off the hamster wheel for a while, had a little bit of spare time, and they said, God, there's more to life than 40 hours a week that I'm devoting to the GEA. I can actually go for a walk or I can have an evening to myself or I can have a Mars bar um, and, and maybe relax and enjoy it. Uh, so there's, there's all that going on, and you're right, there doesn't seem to be as many retirements coming into this year as there was going into last year. And booking the trend would be the, the Kilkenny lads. Um, I think there's great news for Brian Cody in that uh, Richie Hogan, Walter Walsh, uh, Connor Fogarty, uh, all these guys have, have come back and, and Killian Buckley and they've pledged their future uh, to the Kenny set up once more. There's none of them particularly old, Marie. Richie's the oldest at 33, former, former hurler of the year and one of the greats of the game, but he's been ravaged by injury in the past couple of years. Killian Buckley's been ravaged by injury as well. But like Wally Walsh is only 30 years of age um, and I know he probably has lost a bit of game time over the past couple of seasons and maybe they all have except with the exception of Connor a true injury um, but the point I'm making is I think to win an All-Ireland you need a, a raft of young legs coming through but they have to be conditioned to a certain level but there's no doubt about it you need that, that seasoned experienced um, personnel there as well you also need a good stock to call from the bench and whatever role these lads play and they're all good enough to be starters but in, in terms of injury or whatever whatever their role they play, um, they're going to propel Kikini right up there again. And don't forget, I mean, people are talking about transitioning Kikini, and it's been a while since they won an All-Ireland, I know that, but they are chasing the hat-trick of Leinster titles. And that's no mean feat, Marie, considering mm. you have a very competitive Galway team, and up the last couple of years, a very competitive Wexford team that Davy Fitz had, had drove on as well. So it's no... It's no shame on Kikini that they're only winning Leinster titles at the moment. But certainly, if they are to go to the next step... They will need new blood, they'll need new ideas, but they'll need those four guys again. And Conor Fogarty had a game of his life against Cork last, last year as well, Marie. So it's um, certainly a great boost for Brian Cody. Um, there were fears that Richie Hogan might call it a day, but uh, again, he's only 33. He probably feels he's fresh because he's been struggling with injury for the past couple of years, and his game time was, was quite minuscule last year. But then again, New Year, as we just discussed, it's all up for grabs again. The this time of year as well does give a little bit of time to reassess things in the world of Gaelic games and one of the things that has been under the spotlight is the coaching sector and a massive survey has been done, the largest ever coach development survey undertaken in Irish sport and it revealed quite yeah. a few interesting bits. One of them is that they have decided that they need to submit a motion to annual Congress in February seeking the creation of of a coaching officer role in every club. A wise move, I'd say, Damien. Yeah, I think so, Marie. I think, first of all, you've got to make sure that every coach in your club is qualified and has gone through the process, uh, both in terms of, of child welfare and both in terms of actually knowing what you're talking about. Um, is there room for the, the friendly volunteer who wants to come down and help out and lay out the cones and all that? Absolutely. It's no harm, though, if those people go on and do a little coaching course themselves, even from foundation le level upwards. So I think this... this um. This, this kind of survey that took place, this report that the GEA released today and Pete, Dr. Peter Horgan and the, the, um, the Games Development Department, it's, as you say, Marie, it's the largest of its kind. Uh, over 10,500 coaches were interviewed. So you can imagine the, uh, the, the wealth of data that they have from that report. Uh, the upshot of it all is that they're going to Congress next month looking for it to be made mandatory for a coaching officer to be implemented in, in clubs. Now, they, they already exist in some clubs, and you know yourself from the work you're doing with, with Jude's uh, at the under A section, um, they already do exist in some clubs, 
But I think the, the primary function of a coaching officer will be encourage inclusivity and diversity. Um, I think 75% of the respondents were, were male, Marine. That needs to change. Mm-hmm. It needs to change in all the codes. Ladies football, camogie, Gaelic football and hurling. So driving that on will be, will be a factor. Um, making sure there's a pathway from the underage nursery right up through the ranks as well, if, if that's so required. I'd say alleviating the burden on that poor mentor who probably has four or five different teams and is probably 15 to 20 hours a week devoted to teams, both male and female. And I think also um, just ensuring that the whole process is streamlined. Uh, if you're trying to get the culture right for a club and if you're trying to get the style, the style of hurling or style of football or camogie, um, that it's, it's all in harmony. And I think it's an exciting move, a very exciting move. And, it, you know, clubs have GDAs already. Not many, no, but, but some do. And I think a coaching officer would tie in with the principles of, of, of what they're working at. Um, the GEA are looking at this right across schools and they're looking at it in clubs and counties as well. So I, I feel that the club is a starting point and a lot of the parishes around Ireland will tell you uh, they drew from the local schools and, and, and Borough would be a classic example of the team that won a few All-Ireland titles. They drew from, from St. Brendan's and, and they drew from schools around the area too. So it's a good development and the inclusivity is a fantastic development as well and it's a badly needed one too, Marie. Yeah, I was really surprised by the fact that it was almost 80% of those who coach uh, teams across all grades, codes and genders are male and we are also joined on the line now by um, Elaine Hart who is a multiple All-Ireland winner and she has recently joined David Parr's Tipperary Senior Football set up as goalkeeping coach breaking new ground. Congratulations on the role. We are going to get into it in a couple of minutes Elaine but just first of all what do you think are the barriers to women getting involved in coaching Gaelic games? Um, hi, um, thank you very much for having me today. Um, look, I suppose there are one or two barriers, but um, one, first of all, I suppose if you're coming in from a past player's point of view, a lot of the time you might, when you're finishing uh, coaching, you might be looking at trying to set up family and get your family uh, sorted. And I think, you know, you might have a young family and then you mightn't be able to put the commitment into it in terms of time and stuff like that. Um, but I suppose um, outside of past players, I think it's very important that um, it, you're going into, as you said, a male-dominated um, area. And um, I think, you know, it's hard to break ground there and you might you might just have to be you need to have a strong character I suppose to get in to get involved in making sure that your voice is heard. So yeah, there are a lot of there there can be a lot of barriers there, but um, like no, nothing that can't be broken. Do you know what I mean? It's it's something to look for, look into the future for, forward to that we can just kind of ease, dip our toe in and keep and keep. Uh, uh, crossing those barriers and making sure that we can um, make the pathway a little bit easier for female coaches to get involved in, you know. Yeah, I think it's just going to take a, a lot of work by people really just to empower women and to give them the confidence because that's what I found is that mm. once people give you a bit of a hand and they encourage you along and they give you a chance, you'd be surprised yeah. what you'll get back from from people. It's just a bit intimidating, I think, when you first go into it, going into a different environment pushing yourself out of your comfort zone and doing something yeah. that you're just not comfortable in. But uh, hopefully with the um, publication of this survey that things will start to change. But it also helps, I think, Elaine, as well, when women see people and men see people like you stepping into roles like you have done now um, with the Tipperary Senior Football uh, setup. Tell us a little bit about your role and, and how you got involved in it. 
Um, yeah, so I'm the goalkeeping coach there for um, David got in touch with me there over Christmas and asked uh, if I would be interested in it and I suppose um, knowing the, the time constraints that would be involved in it I had to kind of think about it for a little while and uh, it was a huge uh, opportunity for me uh, to learn I suppose off them and hopefully we give them a little bit of advice as well and I suppose um when, once David got involved, asked me, I was kind of uh, fairly uh, 99% sure that I was going to take it, you know, but it's just a matter of making sure that my family and, and were okay with it and we were able to work out the constraints there. And yeah, um, so I'm coaching the three goalies there that I'm looking after and looking after their techniques and making sure that we, we're training. We get a good, good bit of training with them every every training session. So I've been with them there now for the last... I suppose in training for the last two weeks or whatever and it's it's really good and really happy with the way things are going and I've been really encouraged with the lads and um, really welcomed by the lads and it's, you know, like I said at the start it might be a little bit intimidating but um, they're very welcoming and as you said given the, the opportunity it makes it an awful lot more easier than once you're inside the door you know. Yeah, because you always hear as well when an opportunity is given to somebody like yourself and I remember Davy Fitz brought in Mags Darcy as well and Jim Gavin had Lisa Fallon in there too. That starts to, to change perceptions and it's almost like the, the can't see, can't be as well when more people, both men and women are seeing women in those positions. It starts to become normal but unfortunately we're not quite there yet but definitely this is, is progress and um, I'm so curious as well, Elaine, when you're when you're looking at the game and, and you know, Damien and I and everybody listening watch so much uh, Gaelic football now, just the, the kickouts and the restarts, they're such a huge part of the game as well. So when you're goalkeeping coaching, are you doing all of that or is it shot stopping or, or is it just encompass um, or include that and the tactics too? Yeah, so I suppose you would look at the when you're working with just the goalkeepers, it always work at the technique and stuff first, and you, you you hone in on that for a little bit. But always looking at the the kickouts are very important as well. And as you said, they're they're a big part of of the game as as um and now in and the modern modern game. But um you would always work incorporate that. So I suppose you'd be looking at the backs as well as the forwards. You'd have to kind of get everybody involved because the kickouts are not just for, for the goalkeepers; they're for the whole team. So you kind of have to look at that as a, as a unit more so than just with the with the goalkeepers but you would always look at the kickouts as well um, if you're just looking, if you're working with the goalkeepers as well, I suppose you have to look at uh, their technique on their own uh, first of all, and then incorporate the rest of the team then involved when you want to get when you when the technique improves. So you're going to have tactics and stuff like that. But um, as I don't know, as if, if you if you know what I what I grew up with, we didn't have many tactics in terms of our in our in our, in our um, team. But you have to have one or two small little things to keep um, the the players on their toes to make sure that they know what they're doing and. Yeah, you're going to always look at the technique, but you have to incorporate the whole team with the, with kickouts in particular, and that's both uh, our kickouts, we say, as as a Tipperary's kickouts, and then your opposition's kickouts. You're going to look at that as well. You have to kind of press up or hold off or whatever you're going to decide to do with them as well. So it sounds pretty full on. Then it's not just going in doing a little bit of work here and there. <laughs> that's a that's a pretty busy role you have. Ah, uh, yeah, it's pretty hectic, all right, but it's good, it's enjoyable. Do you know, like, uh, you wouldn't be doing it unless you enjoy it and if you're passionate about it. So, yeah, I'm thrilled and delighted and looking forward to the, to the challenge ahead. 
And as well as that, as to Elaine, that you, you don't just bring the, the goalkeeping side of things as well. You're one of the most decorated players in the game. I might be wrong here now with your stats because they're, um, there's there's quite a lot of them, but like eight All-Ireland titles, nine Munster titles, seven Division One titles and a whole lot of other club titles as well. So you're, you're bringing that kind of winning mentality too. Um, yeah, I suppose. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if you're and, and the like, that's right either. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, look, it's nice to, to, to. I suppose we we have uh, both won and, and lost a, good, a lot as well before before we won any, any All Ireland. We are championship match. We had lost an awful as well, so I know what it's like as well to lose 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 as well, and to how to kind of try build build a new team and build from that, you know. And I suppose when the the idea of of um, knowing how to approach uh, a team that needs to, to build I suppose is a big thing as well and, and yeah I, I have a few, I've, we, I've been delighted to be part of a great team and, and uh, hopefully it brings some bit of experience with that Okay well Elaine thank you so much for joining us and I do wish you the very very best of luck over the next few months and Damien just before I finish up with you as well I do need to mention um, Kerry's very impressive hurling victory at the weekend over Tipperary <laughs> Sorry, Marie, I have no idea what you're talking about at all. (laughs) (laughs) Look, come here. Um, it was it was pointed out to me several times on Saturday evening at work and uh, all I say is fair play to Kerry um, I, and I've no doubt Stephen Malumphy will do a great job down there too and I, I saw them play the Joe McDonough Cup final last year and probably just a, a couple of forwards short of, of maybe mounting a, a good tilt for that but fair play to them I mean that's a that's a landmark victory for them and just Marie to go back to, to Elaine there Elaine's working with three keepers Evan Comfort Mikey Riley Cuba Beban they're three different characters but that's a team now that's hungry to go again and they'll rebuild and there's plenty of youth playing at the tip footballers at the moment, as do the hurlers in fairness. But to see a woman like her coming in with what she's won and who she's learned from as well, don't forget, mm-hmm. Eamon Ryan and these people, I just think it freshens everything up. It gives a new perspective on things and certainly it's an exciting development. And, I, I, you know, David Power is a serious man when it comes to football and would have thought very long and hard about who, who his backroom team were and uh, I'd say he had no doubts asking Elaine and I'd say Elaine had no doubts responding favourably to him so hopefully that'll work out and as you say set the tone for other counties to follow suit too Marie Yep, more of that please and more of you Damien Lawler too next week I'd say have a good one and I will talk to you soon Green Farm. Wise and Brines and the Hustle Mindset aren't real. The protein in our chicken is. Get real. Game on on 2FM. Welcome back to Game On with me, Marie Crow, and we're going to turn our attention to rugby now. It was a day filled with press conferences and it concluded with the news that the EPCR have decided that the postponed games from round two of the Heineken Champions Cup will not be rescheduled. They instead have decided that each game will be marked down as an all draw. For more on this, we are joined by Keen Tracy of the Irish Independent. Keen, was this the news that everybody was expecting? Uh, don't know about that, Marie. It's probably come as a little bit of surprise. I think we were all, I guess, as rugby fans, hoping that the, the games would get to be played at a later date. But just, I think we've spoken to you on the show about it before. The rugby calendar, as it is at the moment, is just so congested, so it's very difficult to, to find a space to fit them in. Basically, um, I suppose. 
directly it doesn't affect any of the Irish provinces, um, but indirectly within the statement that EPCR have released within the last hour, it said that the other games that were cancelled, such as Leinster's one for COVID reasons, um, will remain a 28-0 defeat to, to Montpellier. So, look, I think the writing was probably on the wall for that for a while, but Leinster have since come out the last few minutes with a statement of their own saying that they're disappointed with the decision of EPCR this afternoon and we'll meet tomorrow to discuss what, if any, options remain open to the club. But, yeah, the writing looks to be on the wall for that, which leaves kind of Leinster in, in a corner going into the, the last two the last two rounds of the pool stages uh, this weekend and next weekend. That's if, if, of course, the games can go ahead without a hitch, which as we've seen throughout this rugby season and every sporting season, I guess, there's no guarantee with that either. I was reading your Twitter before I came on air and you tweeted that um, Montpellier have had three more COVID cases in their squad. How worrying is this? Yes, it is very worrying um, because Montpellier's game, top 14 game against Toulouse last weekend was postponed as well because they've had three more cases on top of however many else they've had last week. They haven't actually specified um, how many they had last week. So that's a, there's a considerable outbreak within their squad. Um, I suppose, like as I just said there, Leinster were in a similar situation when they were supposed to travel to Montpellier uh, a few weeks ago before Christmas. But they, their result has ended up being a 28-0 defeat for Leinster. So it's definitely a concern. I mean, testing, as we've seen throughout these things, will have to go on throughout the rest of the week. So I guess Sunday's game at the RDS hinges on further results. And look, it sounds like Montpellier have been back in training they say they're continuing with preparations for the Leinster game on Sunday, which hopefully is is a positive. But Leinster have also revealed that they've had further uh, cases within their squad too. And I think it's one player has tested positive and another is a close contact. So that's another two after their recent outbreak. So it's just, it's just never ending. I guess it's the same as society at large at the moment. Everyone is just picking her up, unfortunately. Yeah, and the, the knock-on from that, though, is that they've been out of action uh, for quite a long time. But it was good to see that Johnny Sexton is fit and um, he's available now for this game if it does go ahead. Yeah, that's been the one, I guess, positive with Leinster's down week. Their last four games have been postponed or that Montpellier game was cancelled. So if this game was to be postponed or cancelled this weekend, it would be five games in a row. So while Leinster, if that scenario did did come to pass that they could potentially be awarded a 28-0 win. I think if you offer Dio Cullen and Stuart Lancaster the chance to play that game this weekend, they'd snap your hand off. It has huge ramifications, not just for Leinster um, in terms of the conditioning of the players, getting them back up to speed, but the Six Nations is just around the corner now as well, and inevitably mm-hmm. Leinster are going to be the bulk of players to the Ireland squad, so Andy Farrell will be concerned as well if these players aren't getting game time under their belts. I was devastated for Dan Levy to read the news about him today that he's going to be out now for two months after undergoing surgery on a wrist injury. He's just getting no luck. Yeah, it's absolutely brutal. I mean, he's had such bad trouble with his with his knee injury. Remember that horrific injury mm-hmm. they picked up against him was Ulster in the Champions Cup a few years ago. But like so much water has crossed under the bridge since Ireland won the Grand Slam in 2018 that it's, it's easy to forget how good uh, Dan Levy was that season like he was absolutely incredible I don't think Ireland would have won a Grand Slam uh, that year without him um, now others have obviously stepped up to the mark like the likes of Josh Van Der Feer Will Connors 
in the meantime. But I still think Dan Levy has something a little bit extra, but it's it's a long way back now. Thankfully, he has a bit of time left to get to get back before the before the end of the season. But the amount of damage that his body has taken over the last couple of years, and like you said, it's just through no fault of his own. It's just pure unlucky. Um, but yeah, hopefully we'll see him back because. I think he's still only 27. He still has a huge amount to offer to Irish rugby when he's fully fit. Yeah, just really, really devastating. And when I read that today now, I just, my heart broke for him because it was such a difficult um, rehab, his, uh, his knee injury. And just to keep getting those setbacks, it's mentally must be really, really difficult. Uh, just before we finish up, uh, let's very quickly talk about Munster and Johan van Graan. And I know he's trying to put, block out all the noise and focus on the upcoming uh, European games. But it must be quite difficult for him, Keen. Yeah, definitely easier said than done. I think it's been a difficult few weeks both on and off the pitch for Van Graan and Munster. Look, I mean, they did get a, a good result last week against Ulster that shouldn't be glossed over, you know. Played most of the game with 14 men, but they've had a very difficult trip um, to cast it on Friday, which is not an easy place to go. They're not the flashiest French club, but they're they're up in third in the top 14 table and yeah, I think some of the criticism has stung. I think we we saw that last week on his in his pre-game interview on RT. Um, you could see that it stung. I think it's all well and good for people like I don't know me, journalists or whoever, supporters. You know, calling certain stuff into question. But when you see the likes of you know Munster legends like Keith Wood, Peter mm-hmm. Stringer, even Donald Lennon, you know, kind of questioning the direction Munster are going in for the next six months while Van Grand is there I think that, that's really stung so yeah he, he did, did a press conference today I have to say he was far less tetchy and curt than he, what he was on TV in the pre-game the other night and to be fair he fronted up and he did answer questions about his exit there's, there's plenty of stuff online and there'll be more there'll be more in tomorrow's papers and online too Right well we will keep an eye on that Keen Tracy thank you so much for joining us we're going to take a very quick break and then we're back with football <laughs> Green Farm. Being flat to the mass isn't real. Our protein is. Get real. Game on on 2FM. Welcome back to Game On with me, Marie Crow. It's time now to chat football. A couple of games in the African Cup of Nations a little bit earlier. Holders Algeria were held to a draw by Sierra Leone and Nigeria beat Egypt 1-0. To talk about all of the football news, Mark Langdon of the Racing Post joins us now. Mark, did you get to watch any of today's games? Yeah, well, unfortunately, I did, yeah. It's, um, <laughs> it hasn't, hasn't been a, a classic start um, to the tournament, I think it's the only one game that's had more um, than, than one goal. It's been a very, very tight um, tournament so far. I think Liverpool fans will be getting sort of quite excited by the fact that Egypt uh, um, looked really poor in that one-nil defeat um, today to Nigeria. Potentially, Mohamed Salah back, um, you know, a little bit earlier than expected. You'd still would imagine that they'd qualify. They've got Guinea and Sudan. In, in their next two games and you know a lot of teams qualify them um, much like the European Championship but not a good start um, for Egypt and and Salah just looked um, really isolated um, in the attacking position wasn't much football played at all um, but by them um, you know and so that they don't look at the moment like they're going to go very far in this competition. It must be hard for a player like him who's coming from that front three in Liverpool to go into an isolated position and almost be waiting to try and get that quality ball. 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, and yeah, yeah, Egypt we're just whacking long balls up to him, and you know that's not that's not his game. <laughs> no, um, it's really, not. It's, it's, it's not his game. I think, I think, you know, when Wales reached the semi-final of the European Championship, they had a, a similar dilemma, really, um, or a, a, a similar issue where um, you know you just had to try to get Gareth Bale. Um, as much of the ball as possible, but um, it has to be quality. Otherwise, you know, just whack hopeless long balls up to him. Um, and, and I think that sort of Wales showed a way for a lot of the smaller nations, if you like, really how to um, you know how to play when you've got one sort of star player that's so much better than than everyone else. You've got to be able to um, you know you've got to be able to defend well first of all, but then you've got to get him on the ball as much as possible. And that's definitely um, was lacking from Egypt. Egypt's play um, today, of course, uh, Sadio Mane did manage to score for, for Senegal um, in their 1-0 um, victory over Zimbabwe. But again, they're the tournament favourites, didn't look um, anything special um, so far. And Algeria, a lot of people fancied them to, to go very well, drawing 0-0 with Sierra Leone. So tournament hasn't really sort of got going yet. We've had one decent game, Cameroon the host, they beat Burkina Faso 2-1. Um, and that's really been as good as it's got so far. A lot of KG affairs by the sounds of it. Yeah. So Mo Salah gave an interview to British GQ and he rarely gives interviews. Usually if he gives an interview it's because he wants to punt something out in the press. It was quite hard actually not to get distracted by the photo shoot. Uh, very stylish in his retro gear. He looked great. But he did put a message out in the interview. He said he's not asking for crazy stuff. I mean it depends what you think is crazy. Um, <laughs> 300 grand a week like does, is, is that crazy? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's not. I, I mean, you know, there'll be people sort of screaming at the radios, going, "Well, you're, of course that's crazy." I mean, it's all relative, isn't it? Um, you know, three hundred thousand pound a week in sort of the football um, sort of environment. It's not. It's not crazy, um, particularly if Liverpool were to replace him. How much would it cost to um, re- replace him? You know, you would um, be looking at absolutely huge transfer fee. And then uh, you know the, the wages on on top of that. I I, I know that, that you would be slightly nervous because you know, once a player reaches a certain age, there, there's not much improvement left in them, and you can end up sort of burning some of that money away. Look at um, Obama Yang, for instance, at Arsenal, who did get that that big money contract, and now Arsenal would sort of dearly sort of wish that he hadn't got that. I think that Salah has done enough in his time at Liverpool to warrant um, that contract and while not being able to ask for exactly what he wants um, I you know I, I think that there there should be an understanding that you know he's a very special player and he deserves to probably be you know if not the highest paid player in the Premier League then <laughs> certainly <laughs> one of the top three or four I think to his credit okay look he is asking for what to you know, regular people like us um, sounds crazy, like 300 grand a week. But in fairness to him, since this whole contract negotiation has really started to surface over the last few months, he started to play absolutely unbelievable. So for many people, when they are not getting exactly what they want, they start to throw the toys out of the pram or, you know, they're sitting on the bench with a sulky face in them. But he's done the absolute opposite. So he's showing what he can deliver as well and I mean it's kind of hard to argue with the results on the pitch yeah I think so I mean uh, you know if Liverpool were looking to freshen up 
um, that front three, and I'm sure that they probably will be looking to do that over the next 18 months. He'd still be uh, the last one that, that you'd, you'd want to leave. I, I think you know Mane and Firmino would be um, ahead of sort of them in, in that kind of pecking order if you wanted or you know if the Klopp felt that he needed to make some kind of, of change I think in Liverpool's favour and this may be why they're, they're just holding on a little bit they might be looking around Europe and just thinking well you know, where, where's he going to go? Um, yeah, it would be difficult, I think, for... You know, Real Madrid have got other targets at the moment. Um, we, we've seen that Barcelona, although they are spending some money, I still think it would be you know, a bit complicated and th- there might not actually be that much appeal to going to play um, for Barcelona, as crazy as that m- may sound. Um, maybe Paris Saint-Germain, but um, the French league isn't for everyone I think it's fair to say there's not a team in Italy um, that I think Salah would go to having sort of already played for a couple of sides in Serie A there wouldn't sort of be a backward step for any of the teams in Italy from Liverpool so Liverpool may be looking around thinking um, that there aren't going to be too many bidders and that's why they're not absolutely desperate to um, you know I, I suppose just jump straight in and offer that contract I think that um, that they've been very good Liverpool in the transfer market both in terms of ins and outs over um, sort of Klopp's time at the club and I'm pretty sure they'll do the right thing here and um, eventually um, sort of nail Salah down for um, what would probably be sort of you know a lifetime contract almost you know you'd imagine that 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 would be him uh, Anfield for you know the the, the rest of his sort of top playing Mm. days at least I I, I can't see Liverpool losing him Um, and you know if you think what would Liverpool offer him it wouldn't be you know he's he's not asking for 500,000 600,000 a week which which might prove beyond Liverpool I think 300,000 for if he's not the best player in the Premier League he's certainly one of the best probably is about market value Okay, well, let's go with that then, Mark, and see what happens. Uh, let's turn our attention to the Serie A and an absolutely crazy game between Juventus and Roma with Juventus uh, winning 4-3 and really frustrating Jose Mourinho, his uh, Roma side, who had it in their hands. Yeah, um, you know, Roma were... I mean, they, they just come off the back of a really bad defeat to Milan on the Thursday. They, they were 3-1 up um, against Juventus, heading um, sort of late into the second half. Complete collapse from from them. Uh, Juventus went 4-3 up. There was still an opportunity for Roma to equalise. Um, Pellegrini's penalty was saved um, by Chesney. And after the game, and this won't surprise anyone that sort of followed uh, Mourinho's career, particularly in, in, in recent seasons, um, he kind of threw the players under the bus um, said they haven't got the right mentality, uh, which is something he said at, definitely at Tottenham. I think he also mentioned it at Manchester United uh, as well. But, you know, his teams, when he was Chelsea manager, they, they just never seemed to give up them leads. But at Tottenham, it was a, a big problem for him. Um, and it's also proving to be one at Roma as well. He he can't see out games at the moment. There was a meeting after the match between sort of um, the board at Roma. They've decided to stick with Mourinho for the for the time being, but um, it's sort of another uh, sort of average to to not even average really job that he's done so far. It's not necessarily that I think um, you know he's spectacularly underachieving with Roma, but. 
when you're paying Mourinho the type of money that Mourinho always wants, um, you know, you expect overachievement. You expect him to be able to um, make sort of players better and teams more organised. He's just not doing that um, at, at the moment. And, you know, it was a big opportunity missed against a Juventus team that's sort of struggling themselves to make the, the, the sort of Champions League spot. So um, a, a humiliating defeat in many respects for him, you know, to be 3-1 up um, and, and then lose the game. Yeah, you can't help but feel that it's only a matter of time before he'll be back on a beach filming a come and get me piece, uh, I'd say, pretty, pretty, pretty soon. Uh, Mark Langdon, thank you so much as always and enjoy the uh, next few weeks of the African Cup of Nations. It sounds like you are glued to it. Now, we do have a little bit of time left and I'm delighted to say that we are going to spend it in the company of Gary Murphy. Gary, how are things? Very well, Maureen, yourself? Oh, sure, great. I brought you on because I wanted to ask you about what 2022 has in store for Seamus Power and then I realised I need to ask Gary Murphy what has 2022 got in store for him because from what I can gather you've been pretty busy on the golfing front and doing pretty well already oh, just, a, just a harmless winter outing uh, Marie, nothing to write home about to be honest, <laughs> uh, a long way a long way from Seamus Powers of this world that's for sure but I enjoyed my day out um, no, my I'm uh, coaching now. That's my thing in the K club. So and an odd program here and there, but nothing too serious. It sounds like you're one of those coaches that every now and again just goes out, turns on the turns on the style, rolls back the years, and says, "You know what, guys, I still got it." <laughs> well, that's about it, uh, and it's nice to have it occasionally. But doing it week in, week out, like Seamus has been doing, is a completely different sport, and I'm happy to just. Get my day in the sun every every few months, maybe. It's actually great, though, to um, <coughs> turn on Sky Sports News at the weekend and see Seamus Power's name up there among the top players. So what's been happening for him? Where is this, this new form or this uh, renewed kind of uh, energy and um, consistency come from? Uh, there's a couple of things. Uh, you know, he's, <clears throat> I guess... 2020 was a tough year for him with COVID because he didn't have a full status and, and didn't know what was going to happen type of thing. Um, and then at the end of that year, Simon Keelan, who's an old friend of his, uh, Simon's been around the game a long time, was caddying on the ladies' tour. Their friends growing up from amateur golf, he started caddying for him and he's had a you know a huge influence on him. And then he got his win. And as Tiger Woods says, winning takes care of everything. So from... <clears throat> Rory McIlroy winning in Wells Fargo last year Seamus was 437th in the world rankings and you know there's a lot of chat now he's up to the early 60s he's got a chance to maybe get to Augusta the top 50 in the world rankings uh, qualify for the Masters for the first major but it's not really about that for him at the moment he's you know establishing himself in the PGA Tour he finished 72nd on the FedEx last year which is phenomenal Um, and he's just grown in confidence uh, he's made a you know tiny changes to his game. He found an alignment issue that you know seems to have changed things, and he just he's in that little little kind of happy place at the moment where the game seems a little more enjoyable and not as difficult. And you know even last week, uh, you know he's there with all the best players from the PGA Tour last year, all the winners, um, and he finished twelfth, shot twenty under par. It was his crazy week for scoring, so. You know, he's just getting comfortable in that environment and that's the biggest challenge for a lot of guys trying to make it on tour or 
when they get out on tour trying to get comfortable out there and he's 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 in that sweet spot at the moment and it's it's really time to to keep the foot down and um continue to do great things when we have conversations like this at the start of the year we're usually mapping out you know what potentially <clears throat> could happen with Rory or Tiger or, or John Ram or, or whoever it is but for somebody like Seamus Parr what will success be in 2022? Uh, success is to continue on and, and try get in the top 50 that's that that's that's number one thing try get another win this year is, is a huge thing and just keep on you know, tipping away at it. He doesn't, you know, he's now of an age and experience-wise where he knows exactly what's going on with his life and his game. Um, I recently read he's moved to Vegas, um, you know, and settled down and, and just become comfortable on tour. But trying to get a win every year is, is a huge career. And if he can if he can get another victory this year and, you know, lots of top tens and, and he's definitely going to be in the talk for Ryder Cup next year. Another young golfer as well that has caught the eye is John Murphy. How good can he be, Gary, your namesake? Yeah, he, he showed a lot of good stuff last year to come out of amateur golf and, and get you know a few invites on the Challenge Tour and, and do enough to keep his status. Um, so it's a really exciting year for John this year. He might get a couple of starts on the main tour through that as well, the way the, the categories are going, but I'm really looking forward to seeing John continue to progress. And then just in terms of what is coming up over the next few weeks, Gary? A <clears throat> uh, political football in a couple of weeks when they're all playing in Saudi, but the DP World, uh, pre- previously known as the European Tour, kicks off next week in Abu Dhabi. There's a, you know an excellent field there. Uh, Rory McIlroy and Shane will be there flying the flag for Ireland. Uh, but Colin Morikow is there. Tyrrell Hatton's defending. It's a new venue at Yaz Link, so it's it's really exciting. And then the Dubai Desert Classic the following week um, is another huge event on, on the DP World Tour. So it's it's good to kind of get going. Um, it normally starts in South Africa, but that's now going to come after the Middle East. So uh, a few massive tournaments to start off the season, and hopefully the Irish lads can uh, get off to a fast start. Do you think it's going to be a, a political football again, Gary? We, we've had John talking about this before, or is it just accepted now that the that golf is is played there and it's going to be <clears throat> part of of what they do? Yeah, it is. It is. You know, the European Tour were there for three years, and it's now essentially an Asian tour event. So, you know, what can they do? They've a tournament on. Guys are going to go play. Some guys decide not to. But um, I think if we can, you know, enjoy the fact that there's. A, there's a golf tour done to, to to watch and let you know politics take care of itself. These guys will have no control over that, and as we've seen in recent times, the politicians aren't much better at it either. So, um, it's certainly not for sports people to to get involved in the politics of it. While whether you agree with it or not, it's you know it's it's a golf tournament. There's a, a lot of world ranking points. Guys are independent contractors and they'll choose to play wherever they can. Yeah, and there's the small matter of a World Cup in Qatar as well, which is uh, exactly the same, really. It's just uh, probably because there's so many more people involved in it, it doesn't get the same amount or the same level of of discussion. But I think the principles are, are quite similar when you're looking at, at both of them. And Gary, just in terms of what's coming up then for our women golfers as well, does 2022 look bright? It does, obviously. You know, Leona and uh, Stephanie Meadow are the headline act on the LPGA Tour, but, you know, there's a lot of lot of good... Um, Olivia Mahaffey at a tough end of the season. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, she can get a few invites next year and get going. 
Jordan Spieth went to tour school and his first attempt didn't get through so she needs to keep the chin up she had a really difficult time with her, with her father passing away when she was doing that so that wasn't easy for her um, but she's an exciting kind of next level player coming through but obviously Leona and Stephanie hopefully who kept her card in the last event of the year can continue to improve and hopefully we can break that glass ceiling and get an Irish win on the LPGA Tour for the first time ever Absolutely, it sounds good. Plenty to look forward to. Gary Murphy, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Brian. Okay, that is all we have time for. We'll be back tomorrow with plenty to discuss, including Sinead Farrell on the women's AFL. So please do join us. But for now, Tara Kumar is up next. Game on on 2FM. With Green Farm. Being up to 90 isn't real. The protein in our range is get real. Two.